Welcome to the We RSC podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz. Greg, the first one of the 2021 calendar, and uh, I think everybody hoping this year kind of gets off to a better start uh, than the way we kind of wrapped up this last season. Thanks for hopping on and, and talking some USC football. Always a pleasure. A lot going on. Yeah, and, and let's get right to it. We, we've got kind of a, a bunch to cover. Um, the season is over, and that kind of just started the news. And in a shortened season, feels like we've got twice as much to talk about now in, in kind of the aftermath here. So let's start at, at the players declaring for the NFL draft. Now, this is something where there was a, a lot of kind of talk about what would that extra year of eligibility do for a lot of the players in, in making this decision? Uh, you know, every, everybody gets kind of that extra year, but boy, that hasn't seemed to matter. All the guys that kind of, we came into the season thinking, Hey, that's somebody to watch maybe jumping early. That's what's happened. And, and just running down the list here, J2 Fele announced before the season that he would be opting out. So, so he was a given, but then five guys just here in this last week, and that's offensive tackle Elijah Vera Tucker, safety Talanoa Fonga, cornerback Elijah Griffin, defensive tackle Marlon Tuipolotu, and wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I'm going to say that Elijah Griffin was the only guy that was maybe on the fence for me, maybe Tuipolotu in there too. Um, but the other guys kind of no-brainers to, to go. Your, your thoughts on just kind of hearing officially from those guys that they will go ahead and, and jump to that 2021 NFL draft? I think the guys that we thought would go, like Ufanga and, and Tefeli, uh, Amon Ra, I thought, and Vera Tucker, I thought it was not shocking, but it's always uh, melancholy to see guys uh, leave early, although I, I would have no argument about any of them leaving. Uh, I think they can make a very strong case on leaving. Uh, I think Griffin, uh, to be quite honest with you, could use another year of seasoning. I don't think he's quite ready. He's only second team all Pac-12, but he obviously he wants to leave. Uh, and we wish him the best of luck. Um, you know, big question to me is not who has, you know, declared at this point, but who may still declare to go. Uh, because that changes the complexion. If someone like Isaiah Palomau decides, you know what, I'm going to join uh, Tal Talanoa and enter my name in, I don't think he should go. I think he needs another year's seasoning. But once, you know, once that conveyor belt, you know, starts moving towards the NFL, uh, you know, stuff can happen. So, uh, you know, it's going to change the roster, but, uh, you know, something tells me that uh, Griffin, uh, whether he, you know, I think his replacements are going to be competitive. I think uh, they might be even more fundamentally sound than, than, than he is if they get the right person. And I, I have faith that Dante Williams will get the right guy in there. I really do. Yeah, I, th I think you mentioned Polamau. The the other guys kind of still waiting on are, are those seniors that have the, you know, potentially have the option to come back. Tyler Vaughn's uh, wide receiver. And, that, and then really the two senior running backs, Stephen Carr and Vivai Malapai. Uh, those guys, uh, I think, really you're, you're sort of sitting on the fence there with, with those three. Um, a lot of reasons it makes sense to go and, and a lot of reasons uh, it would make sense to come back. And so those are, I, I think three, maybe four of the guys um, that we're still waiting to, to hear from. 
it's it's so i you know i don't know what the word is it, it's I, I think ultimately disappointing if you're a usc fan that you only got really just a little taste of these guys it, it feels like with a guy like talanoa funga you're just not you know not that we were just starting to see how good he was because he showed flashes from from his very first year uh at usc but boy would it have been fun to get a full season of him or, or potentially another season uh of of him there but i think these are guys where like you said kind of some no-brainer decisions in here and and best of luck to those guys but for us sticking around at usc i i'm curious your take on kind of what's next and for me the biggest question just to kind of set you up there Tufele and Tui Pelotu have been kind of mainstays right there in the middle of that defensive line. And one of the names that uh, a new name at USC is the Alabama transfer, uh, the big defensive tackle Ismail, Ishmael Sopsher coming over. He's boy, it seems like the, the time's right to get a guy like that, but your take on, on kind of losing those two guys right in the heart of that, that middle of the defensive line. I think Tufanga had to go. You know, he's had health issues. So rolling the dice, he's, he's an All-American, okay? Uh, he's going to get his picture for uh, all time on the Trojan walk leading from the bottom of the John McKay Center, leading up the ramp to the practice field. So he's going to never be forgotten. I think that, he, you know, he certainly is probably, if he isn't a consensus All-American, he will come close to it. Uh, but in the long run, because of those injuries, I think if he's going to get injured another time, it's got to be when he's in the NFL. Uh, you know, I thought that uh, Marlon uh, Tui Peloto, uh, I, I didn't know if he played as well uh, for the games as maybe ex- uh, you know, the expectation. But there's no doubt that tells me that, you know, he's ready to play. And uh, depending on, of course, a lot of this depends on what team they, they all get, uh, you know, selected in. Um, I don't think that Tui Peloto is a first-round draft pick. I'm not even sure Tufanga is a, a first-round draft pick, only because of the injury uh, potential there. Uh, I think you hit on a very important point, though, because you, you brought up the fact of the, um, <coughs> the running backs uh, and whether they're going to return. Uh, let me just touch on the fact that we know that Step is probably not going to return. I think it's a wise move on Marquise. Uh, uh, I think he could probably make a really strong argument why, he, why he's leaving, and maybe he'll end up at you know, Notre Dame if they accept him. Maybe he'll end up at Indiana because he's from Indianapolis. You know, they like to pound the ball, and hey, don't leave out Wisconsin. You know, they, it's another one. Uh, and you, Stephen Carr, you know, the, the fact of the matter is these players did not lose a year of eligibility this season. You know, I could see Carr going and saying, look, if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to get drafted in the NFL, but I, I, I have another shot if I go to a running school, uh, even if he said I'm going to Boise State, if that's, uh, you know, a balanced offense for him. You know, he's just got to show what he can do, and he's not going to be showing what he can do at USC with all due respect to uh, – Clay Helton and Graham Harrell, they pretty much made their bed. As my grandfather used to say, Greg, how you make your bed is how you'll sleep in it. You cannot deny that USC is last in rushing. You cannot deny that the backs don't get enough carries, okay? Uh, You know, the only guy maybe that should go on to the NFL and give it a shot right now would be Malapai. 
because uh, I, I don't know how much more, and I think you, we've discussed this before, I don't know how much more film you need on him. He always runs hard. What you see is what you're going to get. I don't think he's going to get better uh, with another, another year at USC. So it, theoretically, they could be down to one running back, you know, Keenan Christen. And there's, uh, I'm not so sure, and I have no inside information, that maybe he isn't thinking of, wow, is this how it's going to be uh, as a running back? Uh, so I think the running back situation is really up in the air uh, when it comes to this stuff. And I think the loss of Elijah Vera Tucker, I mean, if the line was only averaging about 95 yards rushing per game, you know, how are they going to be without Vera Tucker in there? But that is another extension of a coaching philosophy of the air raid and Graham Harrell specifically because he just doesn't seem to want to run the ball unless he absolutely has to. You know, it's just kind of like an hors d'oeuvre to him. And, uh, you know, at some point, it uh, trust me on this one, I have no problem saying this is all going to catch up to, to not only to Graham Harrell, but uh, bottom line to uh, Clay Helton as well. Yeah, you mentioned Marquis Step in the, the transfer portal and, and Connor Murphy, the defensive end, uh, goes in there as well. The, the step thing was not difficult to see coming. I, I think that was something where he did get, you know, he, he was up there with Stephen Carr and, and Vivai Malapeo in, in terms of total carries this year, but just could not get going in, the, in this offense when he was healthy. And a lot of times he just wasn't healthy. And so that was just kind of a thing where the, the what if uh, on marquee step is, is huge. I mean, when we saw him kind of at, at practice and when we saw him in games really get going, I mean, it felt like he was the only guy you needed out there at times. And so that I think is, is going to be a big hole. You mentioned Elijah Vera Tucker too. And where, where, where does USC go in your mind at, at left tackle next year without uh, Vera Tucker coming back? I think they go to the transfer portal. I think they need immediate help there. I'm not saying that the young kids like maybe uh, Jonah Monheim or uh, you know Cortland Ford couldn't do it. But you know, this is a very, very important year for Clay Helton, more so than for Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell is going to be an offensive coordinator somewhere if Helton gets fired. No question about it. Whether it's the NFL, of course, I don't know how many teams in the NFL want to have no running game at all. Uh, or he's in a Mountain West conference uh, deciding, well, I better go to one of those schools because the defenses we'll face uh, are not going to shut down the air raid like even in a conference like the Pac-12. So, you know, a, a lot of it's going to depend on uh, you know, just how they want to approach this offensive line. And we don't even know who the offensive line coach is going to be. Uh, you know, that's a, that's, that's, they're, they're all interwoven as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but you can't escape the fact that SC basically has recruited three-star linemen, and that's a ranking of athletic ability. I'm not, I'm not questioning the heart of the players. I think they played hard. But at some point, it's like you have a 6'9 athletic center, and you got a 6'1 center who tries hard. But we know if you get the ball in the post, if it's basketball, you know who's going to win that battle uh, 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the two true freshmen this year, Joe Monheim and, and Cortland Ford. I think those are 
a couple guys you get a look. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they just let, you know, six, seven guys uh, roll through their left tackle. But, but I'm with you. I, I think you need a guy who has played left tackle at this level uh, and done it well. And, and I'd be very uh, interested to see kind of who pops up in that transfer portal. I mean, it, it is what, what that has done kind of to college football, to college football recruiting uh, has has been pretty wild. I mean, you just never know who's going to pop up in that thing and, and who you can go after at any time. And you really do need to have uh, space available and, and scholarships available uh, to go after some of those guys. And I think we saw, you know, not that Drew Richmond came in from Tennessee and, and lit the world on fire, but a, a serviceable guy who came in and, and played some right tackle for you. And I think that that kind of possibility has to stay open to potentially replace Elijah Vera Tucker. I, I don't, it, it was so easy to see him kicking out from left guard to become that left tackle. And it just doesn't seem like there's anybody on the roster right now who's your clear bet at left tackle. So can you figure something out there uh, or, or can you bring someone in um, who can play along that line? But that that's such a big question. And not that we're, not that we're going to get into kind of, diagnosing everything with this 2021 uh, team at this point, but the offensive line, again, going to be another question that hangs over pretty much anything that happens throughout spring ball, throughout the summer and and throughout fall camp, getting ready uh, for that season. But let's go a little bit to the, to the defensive backfield now, because losing Hufanga is, is massive. Um, and then losing Elijah Griffin, uh, again, the numbers weren't outstanding, but a guy that you, for me at least, felt comfortable putting him out there knowing, okay, it, you know, it, it's going to be fine. I mean, I, I think the defensive backfield played well under Coach Nivar, safety's coach, and, and Coach Dante Williams, and, and in uh, Todd Orlando's scheme. I think that the – the upgrade you got was something where, okay, every game we're, we're going to be fine back there. Um, replacing two guys, that, that could be of a little bit of a challenge. There, Isaac Taylor Stewart uh, is back there, and then it's some young cornerbacks. At safety, you know, Chase Williams uh, is back there, but then Greg Johnson and, and Max Williams are at that nickel spot. It, it Again, you know, maybe Chase Williams could be the answer there and, and Isaac Taylor Stewart and uh, you're okay. I'm, I'm interested to see Xavier uh, Alford is a guy that USC brought in as a Texas transfer uh, who was recruited by, by Craig Nivar and, you know, didn't, uh, didn't play for him because he was a, a true freshman at Texas this past season, but familiar enough kind of with that defense to, to be able to buy in enough to make the, the move to come over to USC. I think he's a guy that gets a look right away. And then these young kids in this 2021 class, I'm very interested to see uh, what they can do um, as true freshmen. I, I think this step has shown, Hey, we're going to throw guys out there and, and see what they can do. So again, the answers in the defensive backfield, I think are going to be interesting for me because losing Hafanga is I think going to be a significant hit uh, to the defense as a whole and especially that defensive backfield. Well, it seemed like they, they funneled their defense around Hufanga and they, you know, they played him, you know, close to the line at times and 
He was a smart player. He was an athletic player. You know, you, you just don't replace a guy like that, especially with a freshman. Now, we know that, um, you know, Nivar, like you said, has, has a kind of an inside understanding of, of, the, of the Texas transfer. But the reality of the situation is, is I think that the defense will be in a little bit better shape if they have a spring practice. I'm a big believer that it really hurt SC not to have a spring practice uh, with their, um, you know, uh, new defensive system that they had to learn almost on the, on the fly. So if they can have a spring practice and COVID doesn't get in the way of it, uh, you know, just from a technical standpoint of people being where they should be. See, the thing about Griffin was that he was a, a, an above average athlete. So he could, not embarrass you athletically a lot of times uh you know so you know i i think that they'll be able to find somebody they'll even go into the transfer portal for that who knows um but i agree with you is uh hufanga is not going to be easily replaced at all and if you take out uh uh polamau uh you know that's just going to make things a little bit more challenging no doubt about that and then We'll hit on Amon Ross St. Brown just because I, I, you know, I want to talk about the guy. He uh, just kind of everything, everything you want in a, in a USC player, what he did, you know, what the, the first time he stepped foot on the USC campus, his first game uh, has, has a big game, just a kind of consummate professional every step of the way became a, a team captain this year and, and a leader Uh I like that he had that game against Washington state that he'll always kind of have that little note in the record book, the, the four touchdown catches in one quarter, um, you know, seven touchdowns uh, over the last couple games of the season and put together just again, the, the consistency five catches uh, in every game this last fall and was always kind of that, that sort of go-to guy. And so just, you know, wishing kind of the best of luck to him the the third in a line of of three brothers that were kind of bred to be football players uh and so it was it was fun just like Hafanga on the defensive side fun to watch Amon Ross St. Brown during his USC career well the best compliment I can pay for St. Brown is I think he could have played on some of the USC really elite teams I mean really elite teams the Pete Carroll era you know John McKay era and the reason is, is I always felt that he really took it seriously. He was raised to take it seriously. He played in a, as good a high school program as you can get at modern day. So he never really changed. You know, the one thing about him is he's not, uh, doesn't have elite speed, but he's a very good athlete. He's, he's built like a, you know, like a truck. And, uh, you know, if he gets, again, he's the case where, if he gets drafted by the right NFL team that can appreciate what he brings to the table. And the fact of the matter is you get him in a situation where, you know, as a possession receiver, uh, I don't think he's going to let you down at all. So what do I think he's the first round draft pick? No. Do I think he's a second round draft pick? That's probably pushing it, but he could be somewhere, you know, in a third or fourth round draft pick. And then from there, you know, really uh, perform, for his next, you know, contract. Uh, but I, you know, he, he, there was no reason for him to stay. None. Uh, he wasn't going to get any better. And I'll tell you what, he kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe different body type of Kerry Colbert. You know, 
they're, they were great receivers. Uh, Kerry Colbert, you know, went to the NFL. And, uh, you know, good, good for him. And I think it was good to have Kerry Colbert as his coach because Kerry Colbert brings a lot of credibility as a coach. In fact, he's probably, in my opinion, one of the better coaches on the staff. Yeah, and so that's kind of the look at, at the guys leaving. And, and boy, is it a lot of talent heading out that could have been back uh, in 2021. It feels like it's been maybe a little while since SC has lost so many underclassmen. Speaking Ooh. of coaches, let, let's, let's jump into some changes there. And that the, the recent news is that offensive line coach Tim Drevno will not be back and strength and conditioning head coach Aaron Osmus will not be back. And those are two changes um, that, again, not, you know, not anything that were kind of explosive and, and you know, did not see that coming at all. Uh, I, I don't think anybody expected there to be absolutely no changes uh, on the coaching staff over this offseason. Uh, but your take on, on those two moves? Well, I'm going to be blunt. Um, you know, I think Drevno was done a big disservice when he, by, by reputation, and I think by knowledge, he was a coach of the West Coast offense, offensive line. He was a power running uh, type of coach. And he was asked to start coaching an offense that he had really very little knowledge on. And he was asked to perform it. Now, where he's held accountable at to some level is the recruiting of offensive linemen. After all, you know, he, he took over in 2018 full-time, uh, you know, he came over and he coached part of the offensive line when Neil Calloway left uh, in October. Uh, but Drevno was asked to not only be the line coach, he was going to be the running backs coach. You know, it was, I would say that that was pretty, uh, uneven to be nice about it uh and drevno you know i mean let's face it he'll probably be able to say uh two years in succession i had number one draft picks we know one for sure was austin jackson so you would have to say well he coached a guy good enough to be a number one draft pick didn't he and it's possible i'm not saying that he is going to be a number one draft pick but it's possible you know, because a lot of people thought Elijah Vera Tucker was better than uh, Austin Jackson the year that Austin Jackson was drafted the first round. So if you want to say, can the guy coach? I think he can coach. I think the recruiting uh, probably, uh, you know, put him in the crosshairs. But so did the, the change of offense. Now, I thought that Aaron Osmus was a fall guy. Uh, the reason I say that is, most strength coaches are told by the head coach the type of uh, bodybuilding they want for the offense that they run or the defense. And as, as remember, uh, Osmus replaced Ivan Lewis, who ends up going to the Seattle Seahawks, I, I believe. So this, you know, constantly changing strength coaches to me is a, is a scapegoat. So you can say that Drevno and Osmus while they may have put themselves in a position to be fired and were, were more uh, symptoms of a, of a larger problem. Uh, you know, this running this air raid offense, uh, and I'll be the first to admit it, I don't think it's going to give you a championship uh, at, at the, I don't think they can win the Pac-12 championship with just the air raid. They're certainly not going to do it 
uh, under the present uh, college football playoff semifinals. They're not going to get there. Uh, the teams that did get there, if you looked at all four of them, they were balanced, hard-running attacks. Uh, you know, so, you know, the question now becomes is uh, who replaces Drevno and who replaces Osmus? And that's a hard one because, you know, Clay Helton is walking on eggshells. I mean, by the grace of Carol Folt, uh, who's probably, uh, you know, the, the, the person who's holding, uh, you know, Helton there, uh, whether Bone likes it or not, Mike Bone, the athletic director, you got to now go out and get an offensive line coach who knows that the head coach could be fired at some point next season, uh, if not during the season, uh, potentially after the season. And the same thing goes with the strength coach. Uh, you know, how are you going to, what are you, are you going to promote somebody? Now, somebody we did talk about, uh, you know, is Lenny Vandemade, who definitely was, at, you know, has helped out on the offensive line. Is he the type of guy you want as your offensive line coach? Or are you going to wait till the NFL playoffs are over and then you'll see who's available and who wants to come for potentially one year? Because I can almost guarantee you, if there is a new head coach, he's going to want his own staff. Maybe the defensive staff stays intact if they're really doing a good job, uh, at least through the first year of a new coach. We'll see about that. But offensively, I think SC's problems, honestly, right now is on the offensive side of the ball, beginning with the, the scheme that they run. Uh, to me, a uh, lot of issues, let's just put it that way. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of those points. I, I think that uh, Tim, I think Tim Drevno can coach the offensive line. I, I think he's just fine there. I think that it is such a disservice to everybody involved. And it was clear early on that he's trying to learn this system and teach guys the system that, that he's learning at the same time. And, and I don't think he was incapable of that, but boy, wouldn't you rather have a guy that is speaking that language from the get-go? And, and so if you really want to give this offense a chance to work, you, you need to have everybody in there who's speaking the same language and, and is fluent in it uh, from, from the get-go. And I'm not saying it's the best offense to run, and I'm not saying it should be absolutely the one that USC runs, but you know, give everyone a chance to, to succeed at it if that's what you're going to do. And so that's kind of where, where this decision gets interesting is can you find a guy who knows, you know, Graham Harrell's offense well enough to be able to coach the offensive line with it. And yeah, is it a guy, is it a guy that's already on staff and has kind of been in it for two years? Uh, you know, I, I think that you and I both, would jump in line with a lot of USC fans where let's get a kind of hard nose pounded out offensive line coach who is really going to push these guys. But if that's not ultimately the scheme, if that's not ultimately kind of stepping in line with what the offense is doing, you're again, not pulling from the same side of the rope and it's not going to work out. So I think that's kind of going to be an interesting look at, at where they go with the offensive line coach. And, and if it's someone who has an understanding of this offense and, and can get it done with, with Aaron Osmus, boy, that is tough. I, I mean, it, it was something where his contract ran out and, and they did not uh, renew it, man. He just led 
USC. I mean, I, I feel for kind of all the strength coaches with what they had to go through this past off season where you were trying to, you know, everything that you're used to having through spring ball, through summer and, and getting your hands on the guys in the weight room and, and spending a ton of time with them. They had almost none of it. You know, it, it's, it was so kind of delayed and pushed back and they're trying, you know, they, they have to design uh, workouts for these guys to do, uh, at their homes or wherever they're staying off campus. And that was not an easy lift uh, for a lot of these guys to do. And he, you know, he clearly kind of got them through it and, and got them ready for the season. So um, kind of tough to hear, you know, that that, that was kind of his reward um, for doing that is, is that he's not going to stay in, but this wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't when he was brought in, in the spring of 2019, it, it's not as if they poached him, you know, from Alabama or Ohio state. I mean, he, he was not in a, he, he was not functioning as a college strength coach uh, at that time. And it was kind of seen as, okay, well, you know, he's familiar with USC and he'll kind of know where things are. Um, but, but like you said, when you're changing strength coaches that often uh, it does, feel like okay let's just let's just try something else let's just try something else here so again just like everything else when there's a new guy it'll be interesting to see where they go and and how that works out but uh you know it, it's kind of it feels like you're just kind of dog paddling and, and treading water i guess would be the the better way to, to describe that when you're making changes like this but i i do think i don't, I don't know if you agree with me or not but with the offensive line coach I think it makes sense to try to get everybody on the same page running that, that offense, even again, if it's not something where you're running that traditional USC, you know, run first, I, you know, uh, tailback dot in the eye, that, that kind of look. Well, I think that you have to really take what you just said and really take it seriously because the bottom line is, is if you're really going to, pull from the same rope uh you know you you want an offensive line coach that knows this system and i'm sure graham harrell probably knows maybe some young offensive line coaches maybe where he came from that you know you want to take a shot at uh you know being at usc who could easily teach what graham harrell believes in although i don't think that you know honestly speaking eric and i'm sure most fans will agree with me so i'm not saying anything that's revolutionary when you have the number one passing team in the pac 12 statistic wise at the end of the regular season and you have the last place team in running i mean that is such a wide difference that you have to ask yourself uh does graham harrell really really care about running i mean even the difference between usc at number 12 and arizona believe it or not was substantial in total yards gained on offense uh, per game. Uh, SC was, I think, 95 yards a game, somewhere uh, there. 97, I think they finished that, yeah. Okay. Don't and shortchange then, them those two yards. Well, you know what? I, in SC, SC can't even get two yards on the ground. <laughs> my, my, my biggest fear was always third and one or fourth and one, no matter where they lined up. So, yeah. or, or, you know, a 40-yard line. And, and that's a thing that you have to always consider. You know what? Again, if you're going to not pay that much attention to 
uh, an offensive line and being physical. And the only way you get physical is to hit and hit and hit and, and be the aggressor. Uh, uh, you know, you want to be the hammer. You don't want to be the nail. And SC's offensive line is way too often the nail because all the guys do is pass block. They take a beating. They're not always the aggressor when they do it. You know, they, they run a few running plays, but, you know, they're just token plays. You know, Stanford used to do some of that decades ago. I mean, they couldn't even – they had John Elway and they could never win the, uh, you know, the conference. And they had, Think about it. They had John, well, John Elway. They couldn't because they weren't all that devoted to running the ball. So this is something that Clay Helton – it's his responsibility. It's also the responsibility of Mike Bone. He is Helton's boss. And if, if Bone's going to get involved with the defense – and takes credit for it, which maybe he should take a little credit for it, uh, then he needs to – I don't think we've seen the last of the offense uh, uh, changing coaches at this point. That's just my, my guess. Yeah, I, I think it has to be – it has to get back to where opponents kind of fear lining up against the USC offense. I, I think this, the skill position guys, um, that, that's not fun. For, for the defensive backs, but as a whole, I, I don't think, you know, the front seven, the defensive linemen, the linebackers, I don't think they are all that worried, um, you know, when, when USC shows up on the schedule. And, and that's not a place you want to be. You know, when, when USC would match up against Mike Leach and, and Washington State, it, it never felt like that was something where it was like, oh my God, you know, hard hats to work today, guys. Like we, we really got to buckle up for this one. Uh, and, and that sort of feels like where where USC is right now when, again, when they come up on opposing schedules. And so that's something that that's something that has, has got to change. I mean, that, that's something where if USC can't start kind of winning everything up front uh, with the offensive line and, and with the run game, you know, you, you can throw for however many yards a game uh, and it just it doesn't have the same effect. Um, as some of these offenses that you see that, that could really get tough yards and, and do what they want to up front. No question about it. You know, it's, um, it, I, you know, I hate to say it cause I'm, I'm such a long time USC person and worn a lot of hats, you know, a fan, you know, did some public address for them, did, uh, you know, Obviously, we are sc.com since 2001. Uh, to watch what's happened with the running game and to see, to see it so in your face, it, it, it feels like a disgrace to me, to be honest with you. Well, we're going to go to some good news. Uh, on Saturday, Corey Foreman, the nation's number one overall player in the 2021 class, he commits to USC. He's joined, I mean, almost an afterthought is Sierra Wright who had Corey Foreman not committed the, just the Sierra Wright commitment would have been kind of cause for celebration too. Sierra Wright, a top hundred player uh, in the country, uh, a, a big time cornerback, a top 10 kid in the state. So USC lands both Corey Foreman and Sierra Wright uh, on Saturday. And, and this is continuing a very good, 2021 recruiting class it, it moves usc it, it bumped them up from number 14 uh national class to now number eight uh still a chance to to maybe jump another spot or two and, and this is 
in stark contrast to the 2020 class that was, you know, somewhere in the 60s, maybe closer to uh, 65, 70, I think, last year. Um, and, and yes, a smaller class, but clearly things have been kicked up a notch uh, under this defensive coaching staff. And specifically, I think a, a big tip of the cap to Dante Williams, the, the defensive passing game coordinator, the cornerbacks coach, and now associate head coach, uh, a move that came also this week as we were talking about kind of coaching moves. That, that was a bump uh, for Dante Williams there. But again, for all the issues that we're going to talk about and going to continue talking about, Landing Corey Foreman, that, that's a big one. That's a big one for USC. Well, no matter how you slice it, uh, the landing of Corey Foreman, I don't want to say it saved this recruiting class because I think that, you know, they were already number 13 or 14 or whatever. But this, this really is somebody – I mean, the last time they got the number one player uh, was Matt Barkley in 2009. And uh, it's somebody – who is well-known in Los Angeles. It, it stops the bleeding, at least temporarily, in the state. Uh, as some of you may have read uh, my IMHO Sunday column about the four teams in the college football playoffs, that they were all led by California guys at some level. You know, Najee Harris you know, was the number one player in California. Uh, Ian Book, the quarterback of uh, Notre Dame, although maybe not recruited by USC, ended up being, you know, one of the winningest quarterbacks ever at Notre Dame. You had Wyatt Davis, who's a two-time All-American and possible Outland Trophy winner from Bellflower, St. John Bosco. Uh, and, of course, Clemson, they're starting to pile in uh, California players and their quarterback of the future, uh, DJ Ulelele. Uh, I think that's somewhere close to his last name. Forgive me. But, you know, the, the, the deal about um, Corey Foreman is so much uh, publicity was there. I thought he was absolutely uh, tremendous in his speech that he gave uh, national television on why he picked SC. I think it's something that USC, when you look at some of the players that they recruited in this class, it, you know, I look at both sides of the ball. Uh, I think it's an uneven class. I think where they're really strong is on defense. I think where they're really strong is at quarterback. No question about that. I think where they're obviously not strong is they continue to pound away with three-star linemen. Uh, you know, I mean, Ty Buchanan was a three-star out of Corpus Christi, uh, you know, six six two two ninety. And, you know, some of the three stars are going to pan out. You know, to say that they're not, you know, a lot of guys do change. They do get better. But when you have that amount of, in the last two years of three stars, you know, it's, it's, you know, put it this way to you. Tim Drevno's gone, but the players recruited or not. Graham Harrell could be gone. Who knows? You know, maybe he goes to the NFL or goes somewhere after even this season. SC is still stuck with these three-star linemen, depending on the new coaches. Here's the point I want to make about recruiting. As happy as a USC fan should be and a tip, of the cap to Helton and to this recruiting staff and Dante Williams in particular, great job. You know, they're trying to recapture the West, obviously the signing, they're going to get Rajon Davis. I'd be shocked. The linebacker from modern day doesn't, uh, con, you know, complete 
and they move up another notch, maybe to number seven in the country, possible, right next to Oregon. The thing that bothers me the most, though, and I again, I don't want to, you know, rain on the parade here, but you know, USC should always be a top ten recruiting class because they've got everything going for it. We don't need to list the location, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the tradition, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm concerned that the recruiting has been almost the savior for Clay Helton at this point. The point that we can't get, we can't make a change because we have this great recruiting class coming in. Now he didn't have that luxury last season when it was a bummer to say the, to say the least, but now he's got this recruiting class coming in and it's almost like it's a blackmail to the university, uh, which sounds really, I think, terrible to say it, uh, that because of a recruiting class, you keep a coach. I think if, if the Trojans replaced uh, uh, Helton, uh, this recruiting class probably wouldn't change if Orlando stayed and what have you. But the idea of keeping a coach because you're having a good recruiting class, you know, Clay Helton himself says, you know, here at USC, we're judged on championships. Well, he's going to be going into his sixth season, I think, next year. He's got one championship to show for it, okay? And even when he had the championship, he was, you know, blown out by Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. So, you know, let's just hope that, uh, you know, I think these players, some of them, I think are leaders, true leaders. Miller Moss, I think, is a true leader. You know, the quarterback. Uh, I think Jackson Dart is a stud. But to, in order to really win, you need an overall recruiting, recruiting class in Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, Clemson, uh, you know, uh, they, they all, Ohio State especially, they get high-level recruits on both sides of the ball. So when they say they have a number two or number one or number three recruiting class, it's probably pretty balanced in the talent. Yeah, I, I think – I don't think there's any way to overstate how big Corey Foreman is. And, and I know uh, it's, it's one guy, um, and it does not recruit the rest of the defensive line or the offensive line or running backs or, you know, any other position. But I think that you can be a good program with a bunch of kind of high upside – three-star, couple four-star guys. I mean, uh, the, the example I'd give is this recent Cincinnati-Georgia game, the, the bowl game, where Luke Fickle has Cincinnati playing some, some really good football. When you're playing Georgia, it only takes a couple of those big-time five-star guys on Georgia to, to ultimately win you the game. And, and so I think that you need to be in, – in order to be an elite team – you have to have those elite players. And I think that with Corey Foreman, USC is in a better place, certainly, than without him. I mean, it's, it's the most obvious thing. But you, you have to have those guys. Those are the guys that win you games, that win you important games, and, and ultimately, you know, not to go full Clay Elton, but yes, win you championships uh, when you're adding guys like that. And so when you look at you know, you, you lose a Kayvon Thibodeau and you lose a Justin Flo. And, and these are just kind of the, the number one elite defensive player in Southern California the last couple of years. At some point, if you're USC, 
you have to stop that. And so that was the, that was the goal. That, that was the goal for this defensive staff, for these recruited, adding all these guys, get Corey Foreman. And, and, and you, you have to say that they did it and they did a really good job of doing that. And I think that's a very important thing to have done because like you alluded to early, Corey Foreman is not a guy. It's almost like you can hit a home run and also still leave guys on base when you, when you get a guy like Corey Foreman, like he, yes, he's in your program, but he also sets up to be able to go get a Damani Jackson in the, the 2022 class to go get a top 2023 guy down the line, because for a while and maybe still now, I mean, this was, this is pretty fresh and and the 2021 class isn't done and certainly a long way to go in 2022. But for a while in California, you, you had, you had to look at Ohio state. You had to look at Clemson. You had to look at Alabama. That was sort of the thing to do as a California recruit, as a a West region recruit. uh, It it was kind of pushed on you hey, you got to go look at those programs. And when they came in, you absolutely listen. USC has to get back to being the program where you don't have to go to Clemson anymore. You don't have to go to Ohio State. And Corey Foreman kind of gets the ball rolling, I think, a little bit on that. Hey, if Corey Foreman can go to USC, I can go to USC. That, that's, that's an okay thing for my future. If he's bought in, I can buy in. And I think that's a... A big part again. Does it fix every single thing uh, that we have talked about, where where all the issues are, kind of at USC, and and are you in the best position for if everything stays the same in three years from now? Are you better than than you are right now? I don't know uh, in terms of a program level, but in terms of on the field, can you win more games? Yeah, guys like Corey Foreman they help you win more games. And when you compare them with a Drake Jackson uh, from the 2019 class and, and some of those guys uh, that they've got still there, a, a Brew McCoy and um, some of these young guys where you can find, you know, a, a Tuli Tui Polo to guys like that make you a, a guys like Tuli Tui Polo to make you a, a very good program. Uh, I think the, Again, the guys like Corey Foreman can can make you elite. Yes, I you know I, I want to make sure that our listeners understand where I'm coming from. I think it's a tremendous class. Don't get me wrong. I think that where where SC is going to be good, they're really going to be good. They're really going to be talent. You know, in the secondary, they're going to be you know obviously with Corey Foreman, uh, I think he'll end up starting, and I'm sure he'll be a player that can make a difference. Uh, but when I look at it in in, a, in totality, uh, it needs to be backed up with another recruiting class in you know for the class of 2022, uh, so to speak. Uh, and they need to get running backs. They need to get elite offensive linemen. Uh, and when I and and when those players, those those running backs and offensive linemen look at the scheme of what SD does. I don't know whether you can sell a five-star running back. I, you know, if Najee Harris was a senior, he's not coming to USC uh, to be, you know, to run the ball six times or eight times, you know, and average 3.3 yards a carry. And there are tremendous running backs that you at, in California. Nobody has to be sold on that. And we do have good offensive linemen. Certainly, maybe not 
uh, a large number of five stars. But we, in a state like California, there's got to be a couple of guys that you'd say, you know what, this guy's this guy's a future future NFL player. And uh, you know, again, uh, that goes back to being able to sell it. Uh, but I, I thought it was a, a great recruiting year. And those players, I think, from this thing, as you well pointed out, are going to be players that are going to have, have an impact, uh, some sooner than others. But it still gets back to, you know what, you can't – SC, I don't think most fans – I think most fans would agree with me. SC fans don't want a good team. They want a great team. Mm-hmm. They want a team that's going to go into the college football playoffs in a five-year cycle two, two times at least, three times. And, uh, you know, right now that isn't in the cards, but that's, I think, the expectations. And if it's not going to be the expectations, then the USC administration has to say, look, uh, that's just not where we're going to be any longer. Uh, I don't think they'd ever say that because I think the rebellion and the lack of money coming into the program would dry up faster than, you know, the Gobi Desert. Uh, But they have to provide something that's going to make these recruiting classes strong and uh because the kids are looking at the other styles of ball uh you know ohio state recruits i was listening to ryan day says look we recruit in a three high three 300 mile radius of columbus i know this when usc has the right coach with the right system they don't have to go more than 300 miles in any direction either uh but when you start having to import players so many from out of state that aren't five-star, but are three-star players, there's something wrong there. And hopefully that'll be corrected in the near future. Again, a, a lot of questions, um, I think, for this, for this 2021 team. I, I, let, let's leave it your kind of biggest, and, and not even so much just the, the position group, because I know we're going offensive line, we're going, going running game, but uh, some, some kind of question that you're interested, I guess, w- one of the more interested things that, that you are in kind of finding out about uh, the, the sort of immediate future of USC football. I think the defense is, is got some real promise. There's talent. Uh, they've addressed, I think, needs. Um, I like kind of where they're at. And I, I, and I preface that, as I said earlier, Give them a spring practice. Give Orlando a chance to really refine that defense that players know what they're doing. It's not easy to replace a Hufanga or, or a Jay Tufeli or a, a Marlon Tui, to, uh, Tui Peloto, but I think they, they can make strides for that. Uh, I think the offense uh, has obviously got some great wide receiver talent. You know, you mentioned Brew McCoy. You know, he's a five-star. Uh, so there's talent there. Uh, I'm concerned about the defensive, va- or the offensive uh, running game, both in the, you know running backs and the offensive line, and I think there's a big challenge there. And I think the scheme is the biggest challenge of all. And how uh, Graham Harrell, what what did he learn from this season? Uh, you know, uh, did he learn that you know this this offense isn't going to be a championship offense? Uh, and it's going to be only judged if it wins championships. And is he willing to say that, you know, we do what we do and ignore, you know, that he doesn't want to run the ball. So it's good. It's going to be fascinating, but uh, I think uh, my, my end game right now is they had a great recruiting year. They got a 
sensational player in, in Corey Foreman. Uh, they can sell Corey Foreman. He'll sell the future recruits. Look, if, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Uh, so there is a positive marketing selling point, I think. And right now, USC needs hope. Okay, They need hope. And Corey Foreman certainly provides that hope. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's true. I, I think that we're both in agreement that you can win the offseason. Uh, you, you know, we saw the, the USC coaches uh, this past spring kind of pick things up with recruiting and get a lot of attention on them. Uh, they were able to kind of hold that through kind of that, that crazy summer. Uh, it can stop in a big way on that very first kickoff. I mean, as soon as the season starts, whatever you did in the off season, uh, we find out pretty quickly what kind of momentum you're going to be able uh, to carry. But for right now, I, I think USC can do a, a very good job in the, in the off season. And these coaches have shown that they're capable of that. And we're, we're right on the same page with that offense. What experience, what I think we both expected to be, and not just the two of us, I think everybody expected to be a, a real significant step forward in year two under Graham Harrell. It, it just did not happen. It felt like that offense that we saw last year, comparing it to 2019, you know, if it stayed stagnant, maybe that's the best thing you could say about it. Maybe it, it even took a step back. Uh, from what we saw in that first year. So all eyes are, are I think, going to be on that. And, and can you really take a step forward here in year three? What is that? What, what's kind of the true nature, you know, uh, of that offense? And can you get to some of those numbers that Clay Helton has talked about? So, again, we'll, we'll take the recruiting, and that's absolutely a positive for the USC program. And, and more than likely some good news still coming here over the next few weeks as – USC moves forward to that traditional signing period, the first Wednesday in February, which has kind of become an afterthought, but again, a, a couple, still a couple, uh, at least one, maybe a couple big pieces uh, still out there for USC to land uh, on that signing period. So uh, for Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney, and that's recapping kind of a, a lot in, in the world of USC football uh, over the early portion of this off season between the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast.